Welcome to Right Rising, a podcast from the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right. I'm your host, Augusta DeLomo. Today, I'm joined by Sabine Volk, a doctoral candidate at the Institute for European Studies at Jagiellonian University in Krakow. And she's here with us today to talk about Begida, a German far-right group with a pan-European agenda. Sabine, thanks for being here. Hi, Augusta. Thanks so much for having me today. That's really nice. So can we start off with the big question? For many of our listeners, they may not be familiar with Pegida. And what is their role within the German far-right scene? Sure. So um, first of all, Pegida is a rather small-scale political organization from the eastern German city of Dresden. Dresden is yeah, one of the largest cities in, in eastern Germany. And uh, this group uh, emerged in 2014, so but more than six years ago. And uh, they organized regular demonstrations. And um, yeah, when they emerged back then in, in the autumn, it really caused a huge media outrage. Yeah, and and uh, it caused a lot of political discussion that such a far-right movement is marching on the streets of a German city. Um, yeah, by the way, PEGIDA, this is short for Patriotic Europeans Against the Islamization of the Occident or West or Europe, as you want to translate it into English. And yeah, we can talk a bit more about that later. Uh, you also asked about their role within the German far right. So, um, yeah, PEGIDA is quite well, um, quite well connected to uh, other German far right organizations. They have ties with uh, Germany's kind of newish uh, far-right political party, the AfD, Alternative for Germany. They also have ties with uh, Germany's largest far-right intellectual, uh, so-called think tank, the Institute for State Politics. And they have ties to all kinds of smaller and larger far-right organizations, far-right media, etc. And uh, within this network, they are responsible for organizing what they call peaceful protest. Yeah, so this regular protest uh, on the streets of Germany. Thanks for that overview, Sabine. And I did want to ask a question about the name Pegida. It's it's interesting that it stands for Patriotic Europeans, which in some ways is kind of a sort of pan-European ethos. It's, you know, isn't that a contradiction with their, what seems to be quite a nationalist outlook? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it sounds like a total paradox, but somehow it is and somehow it's also not really, yeah? because this uh, PEGIDA movement, so these so-called patriotic Europeans, they are totally against Europe as a political entity, as in the case of real existing European integration. So what we now have as the European Union, but they are also or claim to be extremely pro-European in a so-called cultural sense. Yeah? So they see Europe as a historical community of peoples that share a common culture, a common cultural heritage, a common history. This history, usually they would say it includes Greek roots and Roman roots, but also some Germanic legacies. And then they really stress this Christian heritage of, um, of Europe. And so they see that um, Europe is actually a, a cultural community. They don't say, but I strongly believe that they also see this as an only white cultural community. Yeah? So you have a certain white supremacist ideas that are present, even though they are not articulated. But they oppose um, real existing European integration because they see the 
existing European Union as a decadent club of bureaucrats. And they think that it lacks democracy. And their political idea of Europe that they also have would be a Europe of so-called sovereign states or sovereign nation states. Yeah. That's really helpful, Sabine, breaking down both not only how they have a very specific German agenda, right? You're talking about their connections with the AFD, but also that they do see themselves within a sort of broader European idea of what the sort of far right is working towards in a lot of different places. Could you drill down for us just a little bit about what is the kind of demographics? Do you have any sense of who are the kind of people that are involved with Pegida? Um, especially because in contrast with the AFD, which I think our listeners may know a little bit more about, if Pegida is a little bit more smaller scale based in Dresden, what are the kinds of people that are involved in this organization, if you can get any sense of it? Sure. That is an extremely important question, of course. Who is actually Pegida and who is going to Pegida? Um, there is or there was quite a lot of research at the beginning of that movement. So in 2014, 15, a lot of research teams went there to survey the demonstrators. Um, It was overall quite difficult because as typical for a far-right movement uh, or far-right movement supporters, many were not very keen on talking to researchers and journalists. But um, we have some, some quite good numbers from that time. Yeah. So, the typical Pegida demonstrator would be kind of middle-aged, between maybe 40 and 60 years old. Um, they are The majority is male. Um, the majority has actually, and this was quite surprising to many researchers, um, they actually have a rather good, uh, solid um, social and education background. So it's not this idea of, the far-right supporter as being the left-behind individual. Yeah, Most of them have um, have kind of good education, kind of good income, um, even a bit above the, the national or the regional average. And um, very small percentage is, uh, is without work. And well, I have actually also done um, a couple of months of field work within Pegida. Um, so I spent around six months in in Dresden, um, during which I went to all their events that they organized. I did not um, gather systematic data there on who are the participants, but I gathered all this data from my ethnographic observations. And I can really confirm that these uh, findings from early on, they still hold true. So a large majority being male, kind of middle-aged. And um, in Pegida, you will very rarely see this classic, classical neo-Nazi or far-right extremist, as we might picture with um, the shaved head or all the typical closing style. Yeah. And I'm really excited to get more into your field research in a little bit. But first, I do want to talk a little bit about the actual demonstrations that Pegida does. One of the unique things, it seems to me, about Pegida is oftentimes these far-right groups are, they're not able to sustain themselves for long periods of time. They burn out after a couple of years, but they've been demonstrating, as you said, for more than six years. So how do you think that they've been able to persist over such an extended period of time? And has this continued during the pandemic? And if so, how have they been able to maintain that while we've all been, especially in Germany, under such stringent lockdown measures? Yeah, thank you for this question. This is, um, of course, an issue that we all struggle with. Yeah, all, all 
the small academic community looking into Pegida and also all journalists that are observing them. Um, so, of course, all movements struggle with sustaining mobilization over a long period of time, yeah, because usually people just get tired of demonstrating. Um, with Pegida, there was also the factor of having a very negative media reporting, a very negative uh, public backlash against this far-right movement. Um, another factor that might um, discourage people from going to demonstrate is just that it's also physically exhausting. Many people have to travel there from from the outskirts or the surroundings of Dresden. And then also on the square, when you are there, it's just, it's cold often, it can be windy. So you really need to prepare. Yeah, when I was doing my field work and I, I knew, okay, tonight I'm going to, to a Pegida event, I always had to really dress myself accordingly with many layers of clothes and hats and gloves, not only in winter, but also also in the fall, etc. Yeah, but um and so when, when I arrived to Dresden and also told local political scientists that I was to do uh, research in, in Pegida, many of them were really surprised and asked me, what, but is Pegida, does it still exist? So yes, it has, it does still exist and it persisted and it even persisted over uh, throughout the, the time of the pandemic, the lockdown, the restriction to, um, to public um, assembly. And this is really surprising. And my, um, my, attempt to explain this is through this lens of Pegida's protest ritual. Because what makes Pegida kind of special and, and different also from other far-right organizations is this very unique Pegida political culture that they have managed to generate and to cultivate over all this time. And at the core of, of their political culture is their demonstration, which I see as a protest ritual. Um, maybe just very briefly, um, Rituals are, um, we usually associate them with kind of religion and, and uh, sacredness and spirituality. But actually, anthropology, modern anthropology and political anthropology also shows us that rituals have a, play an um, extremely important role in our modern societies and our modern democracies, such as presidential inaugurations or many parliamentary proceedings. They're actually highly ritualized and they keep us together as a community. And that's also the case in Pekida. So this weekly or bi-weekly demonstration that they organize, it um, fulfills all the structural criteria of a ritual because these demonstrations, they are highly standardized. They always follow the same rhythm, the same, um, the same rules. So they always start off with the with the jingle, what is the, they call the Pegida anthem. So it's their own small piece of music. Then there's always the same type of introduction, a couple of speeches, always followed by a common march in the city center of Dresden. Then there will be some more speeches. And um, in the end, they will finish the demonstration with the joint singing of the German anthem. Um, so there, again, also you have this national element. You know? And um, so this whole, um, this whole ritual is very well choreo choreographed. It has it follows a very strict choreography, maybe like this, and um, it really helps to to keep these people together. Yeah, and I do believe that um, it is not only something that Pegida does, but the demonstration is actually what Pegida essentially is. So this movement constitutes itself 
through this demonstration. And um, people, demonstrators and organizers even say that, oh, next Monday there will be a Pegida. So Pegida is essentially this event that they organize. And on the square during the event, something happens to these demonstrators. They are suddenly not only average uh, Dresden inhabitants anymore, but they are now Pegida demonstrators. So they constitute a community. They're a collectivity that um, engages in this collective movement, collective chanting and clapping, uh, etc. And I think that they believe that they transform into something like resistance fighters, democratic fighters, because they see themselves as the truly democratic resistance against a, against a totalitarian elite that has taken over Germany. And through this protest ritual that they perform so regularly on the streets of Dresden, they express this political view and yeah, constitute themselves as a political entity. I really love this phrasing of the protest ritual because I think it, it provides a nice way to encapsulate many of the dynamics and coming from an American context that we've seen with far-right mobilization quite recently in the U.S. And often, historically, the narrative of these organizations is that they're sort of lone wolves or lone entities. But I really love the way that you've drawn our attention to the communal aspect and the collective mobilization that people who are part of groups like Pegida really are drawn to and that provides them a sense of community that sustains them even in these periods of scarce resources or lockdown. And I want to talk a little bit more about your experiences being on the square, observing Pegida. What struck you most about being there? Yeah, many, many things struck me, many things I found surprising. Um, what was amongst the strangest things that I observed there was the specific use of historical symbolism that Pegida has. So usually if you go to a far-right event, a far-right demonstration, you would expect to see some of these very typical far-right uh, symbols such as torches or maybe even the swastika. Now, this kind of thing, you will see it very rarely in Pegida. In turn, what you actually observe there is a lot of symbolism referring to the so-called peaceful revolution. So this is how in, in Germany we call um, the anti-socialist revolution that took place in Eastern Germany in the fall of 1989-1990 within the wave of the peaceful revolutions in the, in the former so-called Eastern Bloc. And Pegida very heavily draws on this revolution to create meaning, political meaning of the movement itself. Um, next to that, they also appeal actually to the former German resistance against Nazism. Yeah? Um, also, they again use a symbolism that is somehow related to the Protestant Re Reformation of the Roman Catholic Church, or also to kind of intellectual history more broadly. And yeah, it is really interesting, this, this mix of references, historical references, that at first I did not really understand why this mix, it seems somehow random. Um, and I believe that on the one hand, Pegida uses these memories, uh, these historical references, because all of them or most of them somehow resonate with the local population. So Dresden was, of course, one of the um, one of the main places where this revolution in 1989 took place. At the same time, Dresden is also 
closely connected to this Protestant reformation of the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century. Um, and uh, so Pegida uses these memories because they are somehow rooted in this local or regional context. But what Pegida then does with this memory is quite interesting because they use these references in order to construct a very powerful um, constru- very powerful framing, a very powerful narrative of what they are actually doing. And the story that Pegida constructs is that they are, uh, so Pegida demonstrators are basically these democratic resistance fighters that just like the anti-socialist demonstrators in 1989, but also like anti-Nazi resistance fighters in the 1940s, or this anti-Catholic, um, um, well, or, or critic, church-critical monk, uh, Martin Luther, um, who was one of the main figures of the Protestant Reformation in, in Germany. Um, in their tradition and following their example, Pegida now sees itself also as a democratic force. And they construct the story that basically society is an eternal fight of some of something like an oppressed uh, people or an oppressed majority um, that is oppressed by um, a totalitarian and even dictatorial elite. And uh, so Pegida uses all these memories in order to to sustain this narrative that the current German political establishment and especially Germany's long-term um, Chancellor Angela Merkel. Um, has overtaken, has adapted totalitarian uh, forms of politics. So uh, um, they would argue that Merkel and her entire entourage is actually an anti-democratic dictator that is taking away civil rights and um, even constitutionality from the German political context. And Pegida, together with these other far-right organizations, with whom Pegida um, collaborates, is now saving the German democratic system and also German constitutionality. And of course, these kind of references, when, when a Pegida leader says, oh, Eastern Germany, the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, has come back, I think this is a very strong uh, collective action frame to mobilize people, especially in that region. That's absolutely fascinating, Sabine. I also have a personal bias because I'm a historian, but we did an episode for Right Rising a few weeks ago with Louis, where we talked about the way that the far right uses and uh, maybe abuses history. And I think one of the really striking things that you pointed out is they're really pulling on these hyper-local historical memories, even as they have broader ambitions outside of just informing the German discourse around these particular issues. So with the time that we have left, can you talk a little bit about how you see Pegida fitting into the global patterns of the far right that we're currently experiencing? Sure, yeah. Pegida is definitely a quite typical example of... um, of current development of developments in the current far right, at least within Europe more broadly, yeah, um, this uh, populist uh, collective action frame that they construct is, I think, very 
typical for also other movements um, outside of Germany and even outside of Europe um, within the uh, Donald Trump's presidency in the United States. We also very strongly saw this Uh, these narratives that um, there is this corrupted elite that um, the, the good and the pure people has to go against. So Pegida really fits that image. Pegida also fits that image in the sense that they have adapted a somewhat less extreme political discourse so that um, they are not against democracy per se. They actually embrace democratic features. And as I explained, they even see themselves as the more democratic force within, within Germany. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, so I think that Pegida um, is to some extent really reflects broader developments. Um, maybe also in the way that they embrace the idea of being a nonviolent movement and of using peaceful protest. Um, which is, of course, not always, doesn't always um, really take place. We have seen quite some instances, at least of discursive violence within Pegida and some instances also of more physical violence against counter demonstrators or journalists. But overall, they embrace this idea um, that is very, that is very prominent in the European far right that um, the method to go is to use this peaceful forms of resistance um, in order to undermine the so-called left-wing opinion dictatorship. Sabine, that's absolutely fascinating. And, and thank you so much for being here today. Where can our listeners read more from you, hear more from you, um, what exciting projects you have coming out? Are you on social media? Where can our listeners get into contact with you? Yeah, sure. That would be great if um, if some people want to follow up on some things. And I'm always glad to to share some more ideas. So I am on Twitter under Sabine D. Volk. Um, I also uh, am represented on the CAR website as well as as well as on my project website. This is uh, popeurope.eu. And um, yeah, I'm always glad to to discuss and to share some papers and um, hope you will enjoy. And I think you also mentioned before we started recording a collaboration with Horizon. Is that true? Yes, yes. I am um, an early career researcher within the Horizon 2020 project Fatigue. Um, we produce very, uh, my colleagues and I produce yeah, very cutting edge research on the recent rise of far right and populist politics in Central and Eastern Europe. Fantastic. Well, Sabine, thank you again so much for being here. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of Right Rising. We'll see you all next time. Mm -hmm.